0: last week I was up here and I shared this verse, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says these Berean Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word, they received the truth from the scripture, they received it with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We talked about this last week, and we agreed that my hope for our church, my hope for each one of you, is that we would be people of the book. That's why we've called this series, People of the Book. My hope and my prayer is that we would be like these Bereans. We would be like these ones who are with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily. And examining has a few facets to it. We've talked about that the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, Brad talked about just what it takes to read the Bible and what are some ways we can read the Bible and how can we engage with the Bible on a daily basis, just like it says here. And then last week, I said, okay, well, it's good to know how we read. We need to understand what it means. We need to interpret the Bible. Or what does the Bible mean by what it says? What does it mean? And then we talked about, well, we've done all that, and now we just can't just be hearers of it. We have to be doers of it. We need to put the Bible into practice. The things that we read, the things that we understand, we need to put into practice. Now, a perfectly reasonable follow-up question to all of that would be this. Can anyone understand the Bible? And I think the emphasis there is on anyone. Can anyone understand the Bible? Anyone? Could anyone do it? Or if the Bible is, as we've talked about, so amazing. It is so amazing. It's this a wonderful book. Its source is God. Its content is from Him. We can look at it from the outside. We can look at it from the inside. We can see all of the benefits that it provides to those who read it, who those who accept it. We can look at all of that, and we can say, okay, that's fine, but it, it doesn't seem like everybody gets it, does it? Look out in the world, we look around us, we go, why doesn't everybody get it? Why don't they get it? So we ask this question, can, can anyone understand the Bible? Why doesn't everybody get it? And I think on one hand, the answer is yes, anyone can. Anyone can understand the Bible. It is clear. It is written very clearly. We've talked about that. It is a clear and reasonable Book. You can read it, and generally go, "Yeah, I can get it." It's it's not gibberish. We also understand it's it's not something that's only available in one language that you have to be able to learn that language. It's available in hundreds of languages, and increasingly more and more languages all the time. I think that's really cool, and you don't have to be a great scholar. Yes. Even a child can understand the scripture. There's many kids here today who read the scripture and go, Yeah, I can understand it. When I was a child, I read it and I understood it and I put it into practice. But, have you ever spoken to somebody and shared a verse with them and it just felt like it sort of like hit them and fell to the floor? Has that ever happened to you? I think of... uh, you know, it's sort of a known thing that uh, a lot of times, I, I think this particularly happened in Eastern Europe where there were there were orphanages uh, and kids would be placed in an orphanage at an early age and not be given a lot of attention because there were so much crowding and and, and those sort of things and these kids would be adopted and they'd be brought into homes in the, in the West and other places and they'd be, you know, not little babies anymore, but they'd be little kids and their motor skills wouldn't be developed and I heard stories and I knew of people who they would say, okay, they get their kid and they'd say, hey, let's play catch and they throw the ball to the kid and it would just like hit him in the chest and bounce off. He had no concept of what he was supposed to do or the motor skills to do it. And sometimes I think, doesn't it feel like that with scripture? You can go to somebody and you go, here's this thing and look what the Bible says. And it like hits him and falls off. And you go, what is going on? Why not? I think of one story. When I was in college, I I wrote a letter to the editor uh, about the Christian faith. And this guy sent me an email and challenged me. And I said, okay, let's get together and meet. And so this young man and I sat together. And he was trying to challenge my faith. And I was sharing scripture with him. And I was sharing the truth and what I saw and observation. And he believed that everything just happened from random chance. And so I said, okay, let's talk about the science of that. Let's talk about the math of that. And I shared all of that with him. At the end, I said, can you see? It doesn't make any sense. And he said, well, it's all here, so it must have happened by random chance. It was like all that truth I shared with him just hit him and bounced off. And we go, why is that? Why is it? My conclusion is this. Even though anyone can understand... Not everyone does understand. You're probably like, duh. (laughs) But I think it's true, and we have to remember this as we share the Bible, until we can ask that question, who does understand it then? Who does? And more importantly, what should I do? What should I do to understand the Bible? So when I look to Scripture, I see six what I would call requirements. Requirements. Not in like a works righteousness sort of way, or, but I'd say, well, I think there's sort of six things that we need here, and I'm going to share those things today. We'll start with the first one. The first one is this, and it's very important. You must be a believer. You must be a believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, you see it on the screen there. God has revealed his truth to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So, what does this verse say? Where does the understanding of truth come from? It comes from God. It comes from God revealing Himself to us. To us. To whom? To us. Who is us? People? Men? Women? Americans? Who is us? Well, we look at this. Who is the us in this verse? The us is those who believe. We're not just talking about, oh, people who do good stuff. You do good stuff and God will reveal himself to you. No, we're not talking about that. It's people who believe. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Why is this a requirement? Why is it believers? Why can't unbelievers understand? Why not? Why not? a verse here, Ephesians chapter 2. We're all familiar with it. Verses 8 to 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Where does it come from? It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, this verse tells us God's truth must be revealed now, does God's truth apply to everybody? Yes, it does. And at some level, we do all have some understanding of God's truth. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us that God has revealed himself through the creation. So that no one is with excuse. Nobody has an excuse. But the world, instead of going to this, makes its own philosophies. Because the world is dark and dim. And is unbelieving. And it makes its own philosophies. And these, these philosophies fall short. They don't get to it. It's not like you can go out and find some other philosophy and say, hey, well, that's what the Bible says. It doesn't. Why? Because God, it says here, God has to reveal his truth. He has to do it. And furthermore, we have an enemy. We talked about him a couple weeks ago, and he doesn't want the truth revealed. So he's not going to let there be philosophies that encapsulate the Bible. Another verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, says, "...the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God." For they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because, why? Because they are spiritually discerned. See, truth has, I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? Truth has a spiritual dimension. It has a spiritual dimension. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that without Christ, we are what? Dead. We are dead in our sins. Without Christ, we are dead. And it's talking about being spiritually dead. So when we have faith, faith brings us a new spiritual life. And with that spiritual life comes what? Understanding. And so you might ask, okay, okay, okay. So if this is true, how do any of us get there? If we're all dead in our sins... And you can't have understanding unless you're alive. How do we ever get there? How do we ever get there? How do any of us come to belief when we're spiritually dead? And I go, that is a great question. And I think the answer is that even when we're dead, God still hears our prayers. And God still answers our prayers. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not. God still hears you. I believe, and I believe this very very sincerely, if we ask God to reveal truth to us, to reveal himself to us, he'll do it. Why? Because he's not trying to be stingy. He's not trying to hide. We talked about that last week. There's no secret code in the Bible that only the smart people or the, the clever people that can get out of the escape room can get. He wants to give it. You ask him for it, I believe he'll give it to you. There's power here. Have you ever asked anybody this question? I think it's here on the screen. I challenge you. Pray to God and ask him, God, if you are real, please reveal yourself to me. Have you ever asked anybody that? Has anybody ever asked you that? There is power in that question. There is power. Because I believe God will answer that prayer. See, I think that becoming a believer is really like a key have this picture here. I really believe that's the key. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Being a believer is a key to the door. The door of truth. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going, well, I'm not a believer. I'd say, why not? You probably have your reasons later on. I'll lead you through how you can become a, a believer. But being a believer is like the key to the door. It's the key to the door. To get through the door, you can do all the other stuff, but without the key, you can't get through the door. It's the key. But is the key enough? The key is never enough on its own. So we're going to look at some of the other requirements. I would say requirements to understand. Who can understand? second one is someone, you must be diligent. Somebody who has diligence. And diligence just means being committed. It means having hard work, doing the hard work. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, says, Be be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Others say, do your best, right? We talked about that last week. Another translation says, do your best to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. You have to be diligent. You have to be committed. Why? Why do we have to do that? Well, it says there in the verse, when we are diligent, we're able to rightly divide. Other translations say rightly handle. It truly really means understanding. But say this, we come to understand the truth, not by taking a magic pill. And we, all, we all just want to do that. And you think of that with so many things? You go, oh, I really want to have good health. Is there some magic pill I can take? Or I really want to be fit. I don't really want to exercise. Can I just take a magic pill and be physically fit, right? Because it's all hard work because there's a diligence required. We want magic pill, but we can't, in the same way we can't understand truth that way. There's no magic pill we can take. We have to work diligently. We have to be committed to do that. And so I would ask you this morning, Believers, have you been diligent? Have you been committed? Are you these things? Third requirement is you have to have the desire. You have to have the desire. I got a picture here of... uh, I think he's a lazy football player, <laughs> right? Just to use this illustration, you have a football player, and you can imagine this. You have a football player, and he has all of this skill and all of this natural talent, and he's worked really hard, and he's, he's got fit, and he's worked the muscles, and he's learned the techniques and stuff, but what if he doesn't want to play? What if he's lost the desire? We hear about that sometimes with professional athletes and others who say, I've just lost the desire to do this, and so I'm giving it up. You have to have the desire. You have to have the desire for whatever it is you do. And this is a simple question. It's a simple question to ask yourself. Do you want the good fruit that the Bible promises or not? Do you want it or not? Job chapter 23 verse 12 gives an example of how we how much we could want it it says I have not departed from the commandment of his lips I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food do you want the truth more than food man I love food We'll talk about that more in a minute here another illustration Psalm 119 he says oh how I love your law It is my meditation all the day. And some of you are probably hearing Dennis Clark sing that song, right? It is a song. Do you love God's word? Can you say, man, I love the Bible. What about Psalm chapter 19 verse 10? More to be desired is the truth than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, I don't know, maybe there's probably some people here who love honey. I don't know if anybody's a beekeeper or loves that stuff. We could also think of this as like candy, right? Maybe we all probably secretly love candy, right? Maybe we're sick of it after Halloween. But do you love it more than that sweet thing that you go, oh, I have this sweet tooth for whatever that thing is. Do you love the word that much more than candy? Maybe your response to this is, okay, Greg, what if I don't have that kind of desire? What if I don't have that kind of desire for the Bible? I don't love it. It isn't my meditation all the day. I don't like it more than candy. There's other stuff. I I like more than that. And guess what? That's great. It's good to be honest. Please be honest when it comes to these things. But maybe we can ask this question. How do you develop a desire for anything? There's a process, right? We don't just wake up and, oh, I have the desire for the thing. There's a process, right? I was thinking about it, and speaking of football, they use that illustration, and uh, a number of us, I'm sure, love to watch football on Sundays, right? Raise your hand if you like watching football. Yeah, these guys do like watching football on Sunday. Well, you know, I think if you go to the jungles of Indonesia and you ask some guys there, do you like watching football on Sunday? They'd be like, what? <laughs> do they have a desire for it? No, they don't have a desire for it. Why? Because there's steps that we have to go through. There is a process. My kids didn't, weren't just born and like, hey, let's watch football. They probably like watching football and they like the Broncos because I do. And I sit with them, right? And so there's a process here. The first thing you do is you're exposed to it. You're going to have a desire for something? You've got to be exposed to it right? How come none of us like cricket? Because we're never exposed to it, right? The second thing is to see the good fruit in it. So you're going to sit and watch football on Sunday and you go, oh, this is kind of fun. This is exciting. This is entertaining. I get to be with my family. I get to be part of some sort of collective orange and blue sort of thing. Whatever it is, right? It's exciting. And you say, okay, is the good of this outweigh the sacrifices? So I'm giving up my time to watch this, but it's fun to be together and watch this and, and be part of something. It's great, this is true for anything. It's true for just about anything. It's true also for the Bible. You have to be exposed to it. If you're not picking it up and reading it, like we talked about two weeks ago, how are you ever going to have a desire for it? Do you see the good fruit in it? Do you see how the good outweighs the sacrifices that are asked for it? If I don't have the desire, this is a good place to start. Try these steps. Again, there's no magic pill. There's no magic pill. The fourth requirement relates to this one, and it's that you must be holy. What do you mean? It <laughs> must be holy? I thought only God was holy. Okay? There's that verse, 1 Peter 2, 2. I looked at this last week as well. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Other translations say crave it, that by it you may grow up into salvation. We looked at craving last week. You go, what does it mean to be holy? What does it take to have this craving? It tells us, we go back one verse to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 and it tells us this, it says put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and then, like infants crave the pure spiritual milk. So we have to do something there. We have to do something. We have to clean up our acts in some way. Now let's be clear. I think maybe I shouldn't have labeled it this way. You must pursue holiness. That's probably the way I should label it. We have to pursue it because only God is perfectly holy. And the second thing is we realize that pursuing holiness is not what's going to make us right with God. If we go back to that first step and we've become a believer, we are right with God. Our standing is secure with Him. Nothing else we can do, good or bad or indifferent, is going to change that standing. So pursuing holiness doesn't make us right with God. Instead, it bears good fruit in our lives, for us and for those around us. This is the illustration I thought of. I think sin is kind of like junk food. Right Here's two things I really like. I don't know if you can see it. The thing on the left is steak. Anyone else like steak? I love steak. Right, And this looks like a really good meal. I'm not really into veggies. But I go, that meal on the left there is probably pretty good for me. Right? This is some veggies. I don't like egg. I think that's eggplant. I don't really like eggplant. I can sort of deal with all the other stuff. But you know what? that is probably good, and I can look at that and say, that is good for me. Now, let's suppose I go, yeah, I, well, maybe I have to sort of work to get that prepared, or I got to wait a couple hours before it's going to be served. But then the thing on the right is something I also like, which is Cheetos. Anyone else here like Cheetos, crunchy Cheetos? Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I'm good, yeah. I go, yeah, I like Cheetos, and they're terrible for you, right? So you can imagine I'm sitting here and I'm going, okay, I got this meal and maybe I got to put some work into it. Maybe it's coming up uh, in a while and I am really hungry right now. So you know what? I'll just get the Cheetos. And I just pack in the Cheetos. I open up the the giant Costco-sized bag of Cheetos and just fill myself up on those things. And what's the results of that? Well, there's a few results. One is, I'm going to be full, so when that other meal is served, I'm either not going to eat it, or I'm not going to enjoy it, or both. Right? That's one result. The second is, I'm probably going to get sick from eating that many Cheetos. Now, some of you teenagers, maybe your metabolism, you won't get sick from that. I'm in my 40s, I'm going to get sick from that. I'm not going to feel good from that. And then, guess what? Later on, I'm probably going to be hungry again. I'm going to be unsatisfied. It's not going to help me. And then there's even sort of a longer term thing where I might be sort of creating a pattern in my life of craving junk food, of craving Cheetos. And I just go, I'm just going to keep eating it. And that's just going to bear worse fruit in my life. Can you see the parallel I'm trying to draw to holiness? So we go, oh, okay. I can go after the word. I can go after it. I can go after holiness. Holiness. Or, oh, I have this need in my life. I'm going to try to meet this need with sin. And the sin is going to fulfill you for an instant. But it's going to keep you from the holiness. You're going to get sick from it. You'll still be hungry later. And you're probably going to develop a pattern in your life that's going to lead you into sin instead of a pattern that's going to lead you to good food. And so maybe this can help you as we go back to thinking about desire. Do you lack a desire for God's word? Well, maybe a question to ask yourself is, is there some sin in my life that's keeping me from that? Am I addicted to the junk food of sin? It's a question to ask. Am I pursuing holiness or not? Maybe that sin is choking out my spiritual appetite for God's truth. The fifth thing, the fifth requirement is that you have to be spirit controlled and this ties into those as well. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20 says, "But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge." And of course, here we see that word knowledge, and knowledge doesn't just mean, "Oh, you just, you know, you're really good at Jeopardy." It's talking about spiritual knowledge, spiritual truth, the truth in the Bible. So what does it mean there? You have the anointing. You are anointed by the Holy One. What does that mean? Well, it means you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Well, how do I get the Holy Spirit living inside of me? I believe. Who has the Holy Spirit? If you believe, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So, see, that connects back to being holy because holiness really, in some ways, is just a matter of, it's just another way of saying, I'm yielded. I'm yielded to that Spirit. I'm yielded to the one who lives inside of me. I think another way we could look at it is this Who authored the Bible? God, right? And so, who reveals the truth from the Bible? God. And the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit lives where? Inside of me, right? If I'm a believer. And so here we have the author and the revealer of the Bible, and he lives where? Inside of me. And if you're a believer, he lives inside of you. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. What if I wrote a book? On some subject, I don't know, maybe like architecture, right? Something I know something about, and and maybe I have to write a book, right? A number of you have come to me and said, Hey, I have this house, and I have this thing going on in this house. Mr. Architect, can you help me with this? And you're like, Hey, this is great. I didn't have to go to the phone book or the internet. I could just go talk to the guy who maybe knows something about these things. That's kind of handy, Right? Isn't that cool? You're like, oh, I know someone, a number of you have those sort of skills and special things, and we go, oh, I need to know something about that. I'll go talk to that guy or that gal. In a much better way, you go, hey, I want to know something about the Bible. Well, guess what? If you're a believer, you have the author and revealer living inside of you. He's like right there, and he's never busy. Like, you might call me up if you need some architecture help. I'll be like, I can't help you until next week. Or I don't answer the phone because I'm doing something else, right? God's always there. He's there to help you. The author and revealer of the Bible is living inside of you. But, we have to be yielded to him. We have to be yielded to him. You must be spirit-controlled. You must be spirit-controlled. Are you spirit-controlled? It's a question to think on there. All right, finally, the sixth requirement. The sixth requirement is this. You must be prayerful. You must be prayerful. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, I have it on the screen here. Paul says, Paul talking, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I put this verse up here because I think it's important to see that Paul is praying. He is praying for believers. He is praying for them, and he is praying that they will what? Understand God's truth. Paul saying, "I am praying for you guys that you will understand." and that is my prayer for you, and yet I think for each of us we can say, "You know what? If it's good enough for Paul to pray this for others, it's good enough for me to pray for myself. God, please help me have understanding. And what does that look like? What Does it mean to pray? I mean, you can just say it, right? What does it mean to be prayerful? Well, the beauty of prayer is that God is always listening. Remember, he's living inside you. If you're a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and he's listening all the time. So you can pray anytime and any place. Here's some ideas, though, because if you go, well, I kind of want to do something where I get more focused. I thought I'd put some ideas up on the screen here. One idea is to walk and pray. You need to just sort of get away from whatever you're doing. Get out and walk and pray and be prayerful and talk to God. Or sit still and be silent. I find both of those things. I love doing both of those things because I can find, I can meet with God in both of those places. Have a conversation with Him. It could be audible, right? Nowadays, there's so many people walking around with tiny Bluetooth things in their ear that nobody will know that you're talking to God. They think you're talking to somebody on the phone. Or you could do it silently. He can hear you there too. I encourage you, invite God into your thoughts. Have you ever done that? Say, God, oh, I'm thinking through all this stuff. I'm resting through this. Would you just come in and help me here? I think he'll come and help you. I encourage you to write as you pray. There's a number of people I know who say, man, I just keep a prayer journal and I just write and it's like a way that I can process and put these things together and be prayerful. And there's all kinds of different ways we can be prayerful, but I think that's very important because if we're not making this a dialogue, if we're not talking to God about it, I think just like all these other things, it can just bounce off of us. It can just hit us and bounce off of us. So I'll put these six things back up here. You must be a believer. You must be diligent. You must have desire. You must be holy. You must be spirit-controlled. You must be prayerful. Being the believer is being the key. That's the key to the door. And I don't know, maybe all these other things make up the door to walk through into understanding. That's what I think the scripture shows us. And I thought I'd put up here a couple of questions that you could take with you this week. Maybe the gospel groups will take these and go through these this week. But some thoughts for reflection for each one of us. Because really, the only person who can evaluate where we're at with these things is ourselves. So I'd ask you this, are you pursuing all of these things? Maybe just some of them. Which of these are your strengths? Which of these maybe are your weaknesses? Maybe you look at this and you say, I'm not very prayerful. I could use to, to work on my prayer. Do you have the desire to know God's truth? Do you have that desire? If you don't have that desire, why not? Is there a sin in your life that's hindering you from having that desire? From being holy? And then there's that last one. Are you a believer? Are you a believer? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not? So we're going to pray here. And on that last question, if you haven't ever done that, there'll be a chance here while we're praying for you to do that. So Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning and we thank you that you've given us the truth. As we talked about several weeks ago, the Bible is really the truth about the truth because Jesus said, I am the truth. And God, we realize that understanding about the truth comes when you reveal it to us. And for you to reveal it to us, there are certain things we need to walk into. There are certain things we need to walk into. Lord, help us to be diligent. Help us to be committed and work hard and God, I know even in my own life, there's those mornings of those days where I go, I kind of feel like the scripture bounced off of me today. Help us to keep after it. Help us to work hard. Lord, help us to have desire. God, fill us with desire for your word. Help us to walk into those situations and expose ourselves to the Bible. Help us to see the good for it, the good that is in it. Lord, help us to be holy. Help us to be spirit-controlled. God if there's a sin issue in any of our lives that's standing between us and understanding your truth show it to us. Thank you that you've forgiven us. You've offered us the forgiveness for that. We don't have to we don't have to have some sort of penance or uh, anything like that. Lord, you've you've forgiven us. You've wiped it away through Jesus Christ. Lord, and then I think of that last that last thing there of being a believer. And Lord, maybe there's even some here this morning who've never become a believer. Never said, yeah, I've I've placed my faith and my trust in in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that to do that, you tell us, we, we just simply need to acknowledge, I am a sinner and I'm separated from God. I'm separated from you, God. And the only way I can get right with you, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing any other person can do. There's only one person who offers the way for me to be right with you, and that's Jesus Christ. That he came to earth, he lived a sinless life, and he died a death on the cross, and came back to life. He defeated death. He paid the penalty for my sin that's due. And there's a prayer there on the screen, Lord. Someone, some could even pray and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and rose from the grave. I invite you to come into my heart and into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, it would be my prayer that any of you who haven't done that would do that. Lord, thank you that you offer that gift of salvation and that it is a free gift. God, we thank you for the faith that it takes for that. We know that that faith is a gift as it said there in Ephesians 2. God, thank you for bestowing that gift. Thank you for not being stingy with your love and with revealing yourself. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.